thinking about my last pride event and how horrible (laughs) that would be to navigate now like when I went to pride we couldn't carry bags with us you couldn't bring your own water bottles they charged like five dollars for a bottle of water and that was spaced out across different spaces there are not a lot of areas to sit there was no like no accessible places the sidewalks was crowded with people and it's like usually held on a busted up lane like part uh street anyway it's completely inaccessible now i would quite literally die if i went to a pride event like that because i can't stand for very long i need a place to sit i have to drink water all the time i have to carry a bag with me because i have so many medical items that i have to take with me both for myself and for my friends because i've always been the mom friend and now that I'm disabled, I'm going to keep all the things that y'all don't think that y'all need. I'm going to have with me because guess what? We're going to get out there and it's going to get hot as hell. And you're going to realize you need an electrolyte packet. And guess what? I got six of them. What for? I'm, <laughs> I'm so done. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Welcome to episode 87 of the Tutus podcast. I am Nana. And I am Rose. And together we are... Tutus. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, it feels like we haven't been here for time, guys, but we're back. (laughs) We have a special guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? My name is Tiana Sudemeyer, otherwise known as T Spoonie. My pronouns are they, them, and I am a writer, content creator, and Twitch streamer. Amazing. Do you know what? This is so off topic, but my daughter asked me the other day, she's 10 years old, and she asked me the other day, can she get onto Twitch? I don't know anything about Twitch. So I was like, I wouldn't do some research. I thought, do you know what? Let me ask you, should I allow my 10-year-old daughter to get Twitch? Well... They can watch stuff, but it has to be with parental supervision because they do have an age limit um, to be in chat. And you can't talk about age at all, you know, for safety reasons. But like if you wanted to let her watch a kid friendly streamer, there are a lot of them out there. That would be fine. She probably shouldn't run her own account, though. Yeah, yeah. For safety. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know what? I think that's just going to be a no. It's going to be a no for me. Yeah, it's going to be safe, you know. Yeah. A little bit. Oh, she's going to be disappointed. But hey, when she's older, when she's older. (laughs) But yeah. Okay, so we always start episodes off with a game. And the Mm. game is called This or That. So basically, we will just give you some options like this or that. And you just tell us why. um, Just so our audience can get to know you a little bit before we get into the main subject. And just loosen us all up a little bit as well. Because, you know, Mm. you're in America. We're in <laughs> it's a bit of a distance it's a bit of a distance do you know what I mean so yeah, yeah just, just to, just just to get bit. into it so this or that so Nana you go first with this or that uh PlayStation or PC <laughs> PC PC I built mine so I, Ooh, I'm just always yours. ride with PC <laughs> okay I like that I like that a lot is that the only reason why you choose PC well, I've never actually owned well let me let me run that back the last time I owned the PlayStation was the PlayStation mm-hmm. 2 so comparing my pc to that i'm gonna always go with pc but also my pc i just have love in my heart for it because i built it and i can customize it Mm -hmm. i can't exactly do that with a playstation because i don't know how to do it yeah yeah um maybe maybe once i get a playstation i'll change but i put a lot of money into this so there will be it will be a long time before i even entertain the idea of getting a playstation how long did it take you to build Wow, wow, wow. I just want to say that it was a lot of personal error. (laughs) (laughs) I have ADHD and my memory was failing during the entire building process. I'll just we'll just say it took a day. Looking back, it definitely shouldn't have taken that long, but it was my Mm -hmm. very first time doing it and I was running on fumes when I did it. Mm -hmm. But I got up in the middle of the night after a 12 hour stream of me building it and then it's like all right i know what i did wrong and i fixed it so like i probably could have shortened that time at least eight hours <laughs> wow eight hours <laughs> that's crazy it's a lot of time still a long time wow but you know what time. it's better than you than me i wouldn't have a clue like even doing the mic settings on here i just I have a clue <laughs> i watched 30 youtube videos I, like it, this was not personal knowledge i've watched a lot of youtube videos to get me prepared for it wow 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 how about you then now pc or playstation 
Um, I haven't 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 had a PlayStation in a long time. Like the last time I had a PlayStation, I think it was the first PlayStation that ever came out. Um, so it's also been a while for me. And I did want to build my own PC as well. I worked in IT, so I can do it. But um, it's, it costs a lot of money. That shit costs a lot of money. Getting all the parts and stuff. Yup, yup, yup. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go for PC just because, like, I like to play Sims. And, like, you can't get, like, mods and stuff on PlayStation. So, no. um, yeah, you can't do that. So, I'd choose PC. Plus, you can't use cheats without messing up your achievements. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely going to be PlayStation for me. Um, I haven't had a PC in a very, very long time. Lots of years. <laughs> and my daughter has a PlayStation. I think she's got a PlayStation 4. I don't think she's got a 5. Yeah, she's got a 4. She's got a 4. She barely plays it. It's a waste of money. <laughs> but... She's got one, and that's what I'm familiar with. So I'm gonna go with PlayStation. Okay, chicken wings. <laughs> I've got chicken wings right in front of me. Chicken wings or cauliflower chicken wings? They don't have cauliflower chicken wings. Cauliflower oh, wings. No, you're fucking lying. Um, no. Absolutely <laughs> not. Mm-mm. No to the cauliflower. Absolutely, Absolutely not. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? I'm so glad we're in agreement. No. First of all, I've never had it. Has anyone had um, cauliflower chicken wings? Yeah. I've had cauliflower and it's enough for me. I don't like cauliflower at all. So if you batter it, fry it, and toss it in sauce, I'm still going to not like it. Yeah. Do you know what? I wanted to say for American foods, but do you know what? Let me not even get it wrong. Let me not even embarrass myself. I just left it. I went for wings. (laughs) Universal. I'm so done. Yeah, I think it's I think it's unanimous. Is it unanimous, Rosie? Are you it's picking yeah, real chicken wing? Yeah. Oh, I love okay. a wing. You know, I love a wing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I get that. Um, let me see. I'm just looking at my shoes. Vans or Converse's? They're kind of the same. Converse. Come on now, they're kind of the same. No, they're not. They're not. Are they the same? <laughs> no, I think they're the same. No, they're not the same. On one hand, I can see why, because they're both flat shoes. But as someone who wore both during mm-hmm. my teenage years, I'm going to have to go with Vans. Just because they hurt my feet a little less than mm. Converse. They're not the same. They're the same. No. I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to say, I'm gonna say uh, Vans, because that's what I wore this weekend. So I'm going to just say Vans. I feel like, actually, Converse's do kind of hurt a little bit. So let's go. Let's just go with Vans. Do you know what? If they were the same, you would have said, oh, I can't pick because they're the same. They're not the same. So I'm going to go with Vans as well <laughs> because, I just, you know, I just like the style. I just like the style. I prefer it better than Converse. And Converse, you know, the front hurts your feet. Yeah. 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 There's a lot like more that. room in Vans. Plus, they have a lot of slip in options if you don't want to or can't tie your shoes. You can just slip them yeah. on and go out the door. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, do you know what? Like fine, fine, fine. Okay. Okay. There's <laughs> <laughs> a difference. Peer okay. pressure. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, so just make sure this is our last one. So, yeah. podcasting or YouTube? As what, like, to watch and listen? And just in general, like, YouTube or podcasting? Uh, fucking hell. Um, <laughs> you definitely saved the hardest one for last. <laughs> yeah. I would say YouTube, even though we make podcast a podcast <laughs> i'm gonna say youtube <laughs> i might go with youtube because on one hand i love being on podcasts and listening to podcasts mm. but i will not listen to myself on a podcast but i i sit and watch youtube every single day various different types of topics i haven't listened to a podcast in a little bit mm. do you um why don't you not listen to yourself back on podcasts I do sometimes, but for the most part, I don't like the sound of my own voice sometimes. So I'm like, oh, this sounds so awkward. Like, wow, that's my voice. <laughs> Look and listen to me talking. Or I'll say something. I'm like, mm, damn, that was a little embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> like, And people just listen to that. Wow. <laughs> I'm a little too critical of myself to regularly <laughs> listen to myself back. We haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't reached that point in my growth yet. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, I agree. I don't like listening to my voice back as well. I think I just sound really oh no but do you know what I do in before I used to listen to our podcast back but since um like lockdown and stuff like that started I don't I don't listen to it back I think I don't know maybe I talk too much at home I don't know but I just I just don't listen to it back anymore yeah no I'm just not if I'm not 
if I'm like not commuting, if I'm not like on a long journey or something, I can't actually listen to the podcast because if I'm doing stuff, like I can't listen to the podcast, but like I can sit down and watch something because it's visual, but I can't just be like going about my day and then have like a podcast in, in an ear. So yeah, it's just not, it's, it's kind of funny, even though we did, we have a podcast. <laughs> I think that's also that's also why I don't because when I used to work outside of my house, I commuted, so podcasts mm. were being listened to all mm-hmm. the time. But now that I've been at home for like almost a year, yeah, the most I listen to podcasts like when I'm cleaning. Yeah, but even then, yeah. it's not as much as it used to be. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. All right, that cool. So we just get let's get into it. So I thought we could start from talking about. Um, your website (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about some of the work that you have on there and you know what kind of like just inspired you to um, even start your website in the first place as well well for me I've kind of always been a writer Mm-hmm. Like I'm using that very loosely. Um, Why? I Why is it loosely? Don't use it loosely. Don't do yeah, that. You're a writer. <laughs> you're actually a writer. You're a writer. Yep. Well, <laughs> when I was younger, I wrote, but I, I, it was just you know writing in my journal or writing stories for myself. Like nothing ever saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. But when I became disabled, I didn't see a lot of people who looked like me with my illnesses specifically being represented. I have myalgic encephalitis, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, fibro, migraines. We got a whole laundry list of things going on in this body of mine. Mm. And all the representation for it that I've seen was typically white people who belong to families who, you know, had the money and the time to care for them in some way, shape or form or help them out and stuff, which is something that I did not have and I didn't see spoken a lot of by any black people, but especially not people who are black and queer. Yeah, And I was like, all right, well, I need to start writing about this because even if nobody sees it, it's something being put out there. And if somebody does see it and if somebody who looks like me sees it, maybe it'll help them feel less alone because I was really alone in the first year that I was dealing with it because I didn't know what was going on. And I couldn't talk about it with Mm -hmm. anybody because didn't have the words for it because I didn't have anyone who looked like me that I could see. Yeah. yeah, and I began to start writing about it in hopes that even if only a couple people, you know, that look like me saw, you know, my writing, that maybe it would help other people feel less alone so that, you know, because I know how isolating disability already is. And when you add in mm. not seeing people who look like you, you begin to feel like you're the only person who deals with these things, even if you know logically that you can't be. Like, even in cases of, you know, rare diseases, you know that there has to at least be one person out there who is also going through what you're going through. And to have, you know, to see it makes, even if, you know, like my symptoms are like severe a lot of times, but seeing that there's someone else go through it, it's like, okay, I know for a fact that this is somewhat manageable, or even if it isn't, I know that there's someone out there that I can talk to who understands when you can't even talk to people who are around you because they can't relate in that same way. What was the response like from like your website? Like how have, how have people like acted towards, you know, like you putting information out there and you telling your story? How has that been? How has the reception been like basically? It's been surprisingly positive. And I'm, and I'm not saying surprisingly as if I expected people to like come beating down my door to yell at me, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't think anybody was gonna see it. Oh, they've <laughs> seen at it. the time, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, like when I started out, I didn't have a lot of followers on Twitter. Like when I made my website, I'm pretty sure I only had about a thousand, which mm. in social media spaces isn't, especially on Twitter, isn't, as, isn't a lot. Like, Mm-hmm. it's a lot of people but it's not a lot mm-hmm. so yeah. my reach wasn't even that far like when I was first putting out my work I only had a couple people who saw it and not a lot of feedback on it but as my platform grew um because I like went viral on Twitter for a tweet that I wrote and that launched a lot of attention my way it brought a lot of people to my website and I started getting a lot of people who were thanking me, you know, for talking about things that they didn't have the words to speak on. I had a woman who who DM'd me on Instagram before I created a separate Instagram account. She hunted down 
my personal Instagram account to DM me and was like, thank you for writing and talking about your experiences. This is a black woman. She was like, I'm disabled, but I'm afraid to talk about my disability with my loved ones. And I'm still not ready to, but you make me want to talk about it more. You make me want to be more open about it. And that meant the world to me because I know what it's like to hide that part of you because people are assholes yeah, <laughs> and they treat, yeah, and they treat us so badly and they there's so much judgment because people don't understand the vastness that is disability, that there's not, we don't all look the same. We don't all act the same. Our disabilities are not the same. They don't all affect us the same way. Like my neighbors see me walk up and down my sidewalk to take my trash out, but they don't see what the struggle is like inside my house. They don't see what it's like if I have to walk further than that distance. Like I was in physical therapy. I'm supposed to walk that distance, even if it, I can't do it all the time, but it it's exhausting, but I don't look quote unquote, disabled, because people only view disability as like three or four different disabilities. And if you don't look like that, they're like, this person isn't disabled. Like they don't, there's a lot of ignorance there. And when you have to face that day in and day out, you're not going to want to talk about it because it gets exhausting having to deal with people in the constant predetermined judgments that they make about you just because you even use the word disabled. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback over the year now that I've been writing on there and it's it feels nice because like I don't obviously do it for any recognition or attention or anything I do it because I have so much on my chest that I want to talk about and there's so many experiences that people don't care to look at because they don't disability is an ugly thing that they like to like just kick under the rug and be like, oh, you know, you're, you're not disabled. You just haven't tried hard enough. And I'm like, no, honey, we're disabled. Don't worry. It's not a bad word. I'm I'm okay with saying I'm disabled because I need you to understand that this thing that you're trying to ask me to do, I cannot do. And it's yeah. not because I don't have the willpower. It's because my body would be very angry with me. And one thing I'll not do is make my body mad at me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's you that's affecting, not them at the end of the day. But um, exactly. even for yourself, like doing the website, like obviously it was is it's good to be put yourself out there and just be in a in a way be kind of naked for other people to like just sometimes even see themselves in somebody else. But how has it been for you as an individual? Like has that been quite therapeutic? Um, putting the work out there and yeah, just how has it been? Because I just I know that sometimes when you, you when you bear your soul, sometimes it is it's quite difficult. You have to kind of manage that as well. So how has that been for you? There's a lot of vulnerability there. Like I write about topics that you generally won't exactly speak on, like how to navigate sex when you're disabled, love while you're disabled, dealing with, you know, like all of the racism and the neglect and stuff that you deal with from doctors. Like you're putting your heart and your soul out there talking about your experiences and in the beginning it was anxiety inducing like I was nauseous every time I posted because I was so like this is this is like parts of me that I wasn't sharing with people and now like I'm letting everybody see all my dirty laundry (laughs) like (laughs) um now it's a lot easier like I feel a sense of joy putting it out there because I'm like well you already did it like What's the worst that can happen? Like, I've, I I grew up on the internet almost, not exactly, but like, well, we're going to say it for uh, lack of a better word. So I'm not a stranger to stuff like harassment and just general internet assholery. So mm. I wasn't afraid of people exactly coming to pop up on me because, you know, I can handle myself and I can block the block button, stay hot. Like, I don't have the time for it. Right. But yeah. now it's like, it feels like a weight has been lifted off my chest because I'm not holding in all the experiences that and the struggles and the feelings that I have been holding in for so long. And I'm, I feel happy knowing that there are other people who also benefit from reading my work, even because, you know, we're not we can't all be the person who stands in the front and yells about stuff. And even before I became disabled, I was always the friend who was like, oh, you can, you don't, you you don't, you can't do it. It's okay. I got you. I'm going to talk about it. This person did you wrong. I'm going to go and I'm going to talk about it because you don't deserve that. And as I began to speak out, 
it started feeling like that all over again. Like I'm not, it's not even just speaking for other people who are in my position, but speaking for the past version of myself who couldn't speak about it. Like you, you weren't in the position to do that and it's okay, but, but I'm in the position now. So I'm going to let everybody know what that was like and what it is, continues to be like. And if people relate, that's excellent. I don't wish that anybody related to the, a lot of the experiences that I have, but the camaraderie and the solidarity feels good because like I said, it's wild how isolating it feels, but it's amazing. Like the sense of community that is there once you do find, you know, people who are dealing with the same things as you. For sure. It's even like also when we find um community in the queer, in the queer community as well, like, before we all like found each other on each other's tribe, it was kind of like, oh, where were you? It's kind of difficult to navigate yourself and it was kind of nice. But even talking about the queer community as well, um, one of the things, one of the main things we want to talk about is um, how accessible the queer scene actually is for a disabled mm-hmm. person. Um, I definitely think it's something that we don't really talk about enough <laughs> at all, you know? I don't think queer, disabled people really... I don't think like we just we just don't talk much about it. Do you know what I mean? And the hundred percent thing it needs to change, like for sure, hundred percent. Um, so just for you, like, just how has that been for you navigating the queer scene? For me, it's it's really wild. So we'll we'll start with pride because that's the number one like accessibility nightmare. I went to my last pride in two thousand and seventeen, and I became disabled in two thousand and eighteen. Thinking about my last Pride event and how horrible <laughs> that would be to navigate now. Like when I went to Pride, we couldn't carry bags with us. You couldn't bring your own water bottles. They charged like $5 for a bottle of water and that was spaced out across different spaces. There are not a lot of areas to sit. There was no like no accessible places. The sidewalks was crowded with people and it's like usually held on a busted up lane like part uh street anyway it's completely inaccessible now i would quite literally die if i went to pride a pride event like that because i can't stand for very long i need a place to sit i have to drink water all the time i have to carry a bag with me because i have so many medical items that i have to take with me both for myself and for my friends because i've always been the mom friend and now that I'm disabled, I'm going to keep all the things that y'all don't think that y'all need. Yeah. I'm going to have with me because guess what? We're going to get out there and it's going to get hot as hell. And you're going to realize you need an electrolyte packet. And guess what? I got six of them. What for? I'm, <laughs> I'm so done. <laughs> but like outside of that, like even if you think about like queer spaces, like bars and stuff, like um, we can we can also discuss the fact that there's a lot of alcohol involved in a lot of queer things, which is, you know, okay, like, you know, some of us like to drink, but some of us cannot. There's not a lot of dry spaces for queer people who are dealing with addictions to go to, and they have the right to have spaces that feel safe for them as well. A lot of queer um, spaces in my city take place in historic buildings, and my city loves to use the excuse that we don't need to make this ADA accessible because this building is old. I don't care how old it is. I'm not going up the steps and my friends are not carrying me inside because I deserve to go through the door like any regular person. Like, there's so many things that I notice a lot more now. Like, a lot of space, like, just talking about different points I just brought up but a lot of the other spaces that aren't bars and clubs or pride events they don't center you know the ability to sit and just chill they like a lot of uh, queer events that happen here are the active kind where you go and do things and I'm like I can't do a lot (laughs) like where is a good place for me to sit and relax oh sorry we got rid of uh the benches or if we do have benches it's uh definitely anti-homeless infrastructure which is absolutely not accessible in any way shape or form anyway it's it's just it's so much and even when you don't speak on physical spaces navigating dating while you're queer and disabled like the amount of people who seem to think that because I'm disabled I can't do anything at all like I can't have a healthy Mm -hmm. loving relationship I can't do anything sexual I can't have fun on dates and it's like what do you expect like what are you thinking happens when you date Mm. a disabled person like 
even and this isn't even just in queer space this is in dating in general but so many people think that dating queer people means that are dating disabled people means that you're going to suddenly become their caregiver or something mm. and first off whether or not you become someone's caregiver is up to you and the person involved but you are not automatically assigned that role because a caregiving role is something that takes a lot of trust and a lot of vulnerability and not a lot of people are not like the kind of people that you want to have taking care of you just because you're dating me doesn't mean that you can take care of me like and that's the same thing that we we talk about in general with dating yeah that's every person you date exactly every person you date is not going to be the person who look you spend the rest of your life with so why do you assume that because we're dating you're going to be my caregiver i have a partner i've been with for five years he is not my caregiver he will never become my caregiver he helps me out but that's not the role that i will give to him because i love him but that's not what i want in our relationship i would rather have have someone completely separate Because there's a lot of dependency that you have to have when you're disabled that's uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially when it's with someone that you're dating. And when you take it a step further, when it comes to, you know, long-term relationships and marriage, there's so much that you can't navigate. Like when you don't, when you can't work and you're not making a lot of money, you're already financially dependent on another person. But now this person is taking care of you and your needs. That is scary. Even if it's someone you love and you trust, because this isn't, you're now placing your life in their hands. Like if my caregiver, like I don't have one now, but if I had one and they suddenly left, what am I going to do? Like I, I relied on this person and now they're not here. It's actually like, quite scary people, thinking about that. Yeah. And it's like, even for people that have been married for a long time, like I have friends who've been married for years and they're still afraid of having their partner as their caregiver because they're afraid of what might happen. Because no matter how happy you are, sometimes stuff happens and that relationship changes. And when you're disabled and that person is your carer, changes, even how like small when it comes to just people who are not disabled can be huge. And when you layer that with, you know, queer relationships, there's already a lot that we deal with, with navigating queerness, because, you know, we're used to not being able to freely be ourselves, you know, and date, you know, people who are not cis heterosexual and stuff like that. Like, we already have a hard time navigating that. A lot of us don't have marriage rights, because we're disabled, even though we we got marriage equality a couple years ago. I can't get, I can't technically get married. And I was engaged. Why can't you get married? Because if I get approved for disability and um, it's specifically with SSI, I'm pretty sure it's the same with SSDI too, but you lose your benefits or your benefits get extremely lower because they essentially take in consideration your partner's income. So even if your partner is not making a lot of money, they're still like, oh, that's too much because you're limited. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I'm only allowed if I were on if I were on SSI, I would only be allowed to make seven hundred and something dollars before tax. If I get SSDI, I'm only allowed to make eleven hundred dollars a month before tax. So let's say I'm getting eleven hundred dollars from Social Security. If my partner makes five hundred dollars a month, that's still too much money and they'll still cut us off. So a lot of people a lot of people don't get married. That's crazy. Like, like, like you should like, be able to, like, want to take, take them vows and, you know, do what you want to do and make your relationship what you want to be, what want it to be. It shouldn't really be dependent on the state and, like, what the laws are and stuff like that. It just should, everyone should just be able to do that. Like, this is, that's crazy. And that's what makes it so hard navigating dating. Because, like, I'm in a, I'm polyamorous. So, like, outside of the fact that I can't, if I wanted to get married, some, uh, if I had multiple partners and I wanted to get married, I couldn't marry all of them. But just navigating queer spaces with people who think that because we got marriage equality a couple years ago, that that was the end of the fight. It's so hard because, mm-hmm. like, no, you gave up when I can't get married. I'm queer and I'm disabled. It doesn't matter who my partner is. doesn't matter their gender. I can't get married still. You still, we still have a fight left because you're leaving behind tons of queer disabled people who can't do it. Like, I couldn't feel happy as happy as I wanted to because I knew that there were so many of us who still can't get married. Like, even common law marriages, like they investigate us 
if they they will go around and try to find out if you're married, if you're making too much oh money, they God. call your family members, they interview people. Like, is this um state dependent or is it like the whole of America? It's essentially the whole of America. How they navigate it is individual. Like, because. I'm not sure how, when they start doing it because it's random. Like you can be getting benefits for years and suddenly they're like, oh yeah, you remember five years ago when you made too much money this one month? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, now you got to give us all our money back. <laughs> that is oh, ridiculous. They make you pay it back. Of course they make you pay it back. But... That is ridiculous. Because like, like, they consider it fraud in a lot of places. Because yeah. like, it's not fraud. <laughs> I made $2 more than I was supposed to in one month. What was I supposed to do with the $2? Wow. That is crazy. Like, you know, you really like highlighted some things that obviously I didn't I didn't know about the marriage um situation, yeah. the benefits and stuff like that. Cause I guess it's you know different countries and everything. Even Pride. Mm-hmm. Even you saying that you can't you have to buy water at Pride, it's crazy. Like you can't bring I, your I own. I can't believe that. Yeah, because I wouldn't Yeah, that that's of that. course state dependent, but like you know how capitalism is. Like they're gonna they're yeah. gonna monetize everything. From talking to other state people who go to Pride in different states that I've never been to, it's at least mm-hmm. not a um uncommon situation because mm. you know they charge water like charge water they charge you money for water in a lot of different situations it's no surprise that you show up to prior where you're supposed to be like happy and kicking with all your queer friends yeah. and they're like Here's five, you know, i need five dollars so you cannot die of thirst out here mm. that is ridiculous even you talking about like queer spaces and stuff like i thought about that today because we do events and we have spoken about this before is the fact that there are so many venues that just do not cater to the they might not they don't they have stairs or they don't have lifts they don't have they just don't have accessibility and it's something that we thought about because we have queer disabled listeners who would love to come to our events but so many venues around London just do not have that accessibility and also another point is that what we was talking about yesterday is that we don't have our own spaces. We always have to hire out spaces. So you've got that. And then on top of that, you've got accessibility issues. It's just a fucking, is an, an absolute nightmare. Basically, it's an absolute nightmare. So my hope is for what, so one day we can have our own spaces. It's so hard because I feel like as black people, we don't really have much. Um, so it's like we're always just getting the crumbs. We're always just getting the crumbs. And obviously, as you layer that on with you know, different aspects of your identity and obviously your intersections, there's there's more and more and more needs that, that, you know, we have. So it's just really important for us to have our own shit, I think, you know. It's not going to be easy, but stuff like this is a real issue. We want all of our uh, listeners to be able to come to our, um, whether it's a show, whether it's a party, whether it's just a chill event, we want we want that so it's definitely something that we're thinking about and if there are facilities there they need to work yes that's a that's a huge thing god sometimes just beautiful gowns you know what i'm saying (laughs) like it's ridiculous and like we'll have we'll have an elevator and they'll be like oh yeah we do have an elevator but it hasn't worked in like five years like and you didn't think that you should get it fixed like what's the point of having it exactly just a waste of money just it's just for decoration we just thought thought it'd be cute to have (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's also another reason why i I created my website specifically like somewhere on the website it's like i'm talking about disability queerness and blackness as Mm -hmm. it intersects because a big thing in the disability community is the refusal to acknowledge that there's a difference between being white and disabled and black and disabled Yes, you are marginalized when you are white and disabled, but you are still white. You still have an aspect of yeah, that, that privilege. That privilege is still there. The, yeah. Like people, if I was in a room with another white disabled person, I'm more likely to be accused of faking because people always hold black people under a magnifying glass. Like, and when it comes to discussing things, people hate to acknowledge that racism plays a part in medical things. Like, oh, they do that to all yeah. of us. And I'm like, yeah, and they do it to us worse because we're black. I go, I went, like, I spent the first year navigating my disability being accused of um, drug seeking because I had knee pain that had no answers. No way. Turns out I have a connective tissue disorder. But I went to the ER and spent, like, I got, went in debt and ruined my credit because I was in so much pain just for a doctor who barely breathed in the same room as me to go, nothing's wrong. Like, yeah, it's not going to show up on the x-ray <laughs> it's my connective Even tissues diagnosed um did you like throughout that process where apart from the example you've given us now where like were there like a number of others as well where you knew that race was just a part and you just weren't being taken seriously or being seen to in time or things were just taking a lot a lot longer because you were black 
Yeah, my rheumatologist, like, I don't go to her anymore, but she absolutely, like, I've seen the way she speaks to her white patients, and then the way she treats me when I'm in the room is vastly different. Like, she does not listen to me. She talks over me the entire appointment. She doesn't care when I'm telling her that something is wrong. She'll make her own assumptions about what's going on. And then I went to go see another doctor for uh, my lung issues. Like I've been dealing with lung pain since before COVID happened. And he tried to assume that it was sleep related. I had sleep apnea when I was a child. I don't have sleep apnea anymore. And he assumed that my myalgic encephalitis, which is commonly called chronic fatigue syndrome, which is the first problem. He assumed that the reason I was having lung issues was because I had a, uh, I wasn't sleeping enough. And I'm like, well, for starters, my chronic illness affects my sleep. But this was happening beforehand. Like it happens when I'm outside, when I breathe the air. It does not happen when I first wake up. And he kept trying to like, push really hard that this was a sleeping issue i'm like no i have a chronic condition he's like no you have a problem and i'm like wow. but didn't i just tell you yeah, yeah. i know <laughs> i just said i had a chronic illness so what pro- the problem here is you not listening to me yeah i'm, like, I'm not to be here for my health mm-hmm. <laughs> and he still went and wrote three diagnoses that i did not have down in my charts that are still here they still there too i'm now? like we yep still there and he claimed we talked about this i'm like no you talked over me and sized me sized me up repeatedly. Wow. We did not have a conversation, sir. These are people that like, you're supposed to trust with your life, you know. That these are people you're supposed yeah, to trust yeah. with your life. And it's just and they're qualified. Like you they went to university for a very long time to be <laughs> to be where they yeah. are. Like why would you just they're, not they're listen? Trained. Mm. They're trained. What is this called? Medical bias. Medical bias, medical racism, medical neglect. You know, you could you could put them all together. Yeah. Like it's and that's my thing that I like. And this is another reason, like, I, I advocate very strongly for self-diagnosis because a lot of people assume that self-diagnosing means that you went to Google and you saw a thing. You're like, this is what I got. No, mm-hmm. I correctly self-diagnosed myself with everything that I ended up being medically diagnosed with. Wow. I was correct. I have wow. never been wrong in the entirety of my me dealing with this because I spent months reading research papers. I've been looking into surveys and um what's the word experiments and looking at other people's experiences like i've i sit and i do this because this is the this is how i have to advocate for myself because i have no choice this is survival mm-hmm. at this point and every single time a doctor has tried to nav- to diagnose me with something without listening to me they had to take it back and guess what they ended up doing diagnosing me with the thing that i knew i had in the first place <laughs> they, like, must, they must feel stupid every single time they they, they got too much ego to feel stupid uh, <laughs> like yeah, they will They'll just brush past it and pretend like, oh, you know, I I knew this. Like, for example, my rheumatologist, I she tried to diagnose me with fibro long before she knew I, we knew I had fibro. She was I went to her trying to, you know, get the standard test done for rheumatoid arthritis because I was showing a lot of signs of it. I don't have it. But, you know, you go to a rheumatologist when you're starting to have bone pain and she refused to do any proper tests. And immediately it's like, oh, that's just fibro. And I'm like, well, why don't we do some tests to find out first? Because you can't just label me something without us doing any kind of research into it. We did all these blood tests. My inflammation markers were high. My um, white blood cell count was kind of high, but not like abnormal. So it was obviously showing that something autoimmune was happening and some kind of inflammation was happening in my body. It turned out to be my connective tissue disorder. But essentially I spent a year bouncing around with her her diagnosing my fibro without like literally doing anything we didn't even do the pressure point test or anything which doesn't work for everybody um and i have a teacher that um when i was in high school she was my psych teacher she has ehlers danlos syndrome she read my website and she read my experiences and she sent me a dm and went have you looked into ehlers danlos syndrome and this is me yeah i'm actually looking into it right now because at that moment I was like, okay, I need to see a geneticist because obviously my rheumatologist ain't shit. Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm going to get any kind of test done, I need to go to a gen- geneticist. I'd already had like 50 people with Ellis Sandrosim going, I need you to look into this because it's not normal to have dislocating bo- joints and the pain that you're in is definitely exactly like it was for me. And I'm like, all right. My, now, I would just want to make it clear that my primary care physician, in the first time that I met her, she 
wrote down on a sticky note, myalgic encephalitis and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and told me to go home and look into it. She was right. Um, we hadn't even done anything. She just listened to me, which is a while. She listened to me. and was like, I actually have two patients who have these things. Go look into it because this is what it sounds like. And this is me. All right. My rheumatologist did not do that. She didn't even listen to me. But I went to a geneticist and he was he listened to me that this was two to three years into this struggle. And he went, I just want to let you know now that you do have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and you should have gotten this uh, diagnosed three years ago. Because all of the pain that you're in, all of the experiences that you've had, like I can, I'm just listening to you and I'm telling you that this is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome because I was dealing with joint dislocations and like tears and all these things that are markers for hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, including how the way it affects my organs. But my rheumatologist would not listen. And I went to her before, I, um, right after I went to him and I was like, before I went to him and I was like, okay, but can, let's look into LSMLS. And she's like, oh no, you have rheumatoid arthritis. And I'm like, but you've been telling me for three years that that's not what it is and that my markers <laughs> didn't match. So how do I have it now? Because you didn't do any tests. Yeah. So like, it's the constant like changing. Like she, she will not accept being wrong or accept that she's been talking over me and not listening to me the entire time she's been under my care or I've been under her care. So she got dropped. That's, I mean, that's crazy because she you was in a lot of pain for all this time and she didn't listen to you. So she basically let you go on in like so much pain. I just think it's just you're like the first thing you need to think about are your patients and their well-being. It just doesn't make any fucking sense. It makes no sense. It doesn't for three help. years, it doesn't make no sense. Three it doesn't years. help that they don't think that we are, our pain is actually real. real. Like they mm, think yeah. that we are good at, ta- at dealing with pain. I'm like, no, I'm only good good with dealing with pain because i'm constantly in it like when i say i'm gonna uh my i hate the pain scale just throwing that out there the pain scale is bullshit but if i had to abide by it i'm in a i'm in a not eight to a ten every single day of my life but i'm sitting just as calmly as i am now because i've had to adjust to it Mm. i've had to get used to it because shit still has to get done Mm. i don't get to not do anything as much as I want to sometimes like sometimes my body will humble me and I will have to lay my ass in bed but Mm. I still eventually have to get up because I have to do work I have to do things I have to clean up I have cats to take care of one of them is sick she needs her insulin every single day Mm. and if I don't get up to give it to her no one is like so when I would go to the doctors and they would ask me about my pain they would look at me so skeptically when I would say I was in I was in the tent and I'm like I don't, I shouldn't have to be on the floor writhing in pain for you to understand that I'm in a, I'm at a 10. I'm at the highest pain that I've been at and I'm, I've had to deal with it consistently. So I am here calmly telling you this so that you can get me into the room and we can start addressing it. So I don't have to get used to this anymore. Like right. we shouldn't view pain as something that you need to be expressive in order for it to be valid. Some of us have to deal with it constantly. So we don't, we can't sit and writhe in pain constantly as much as we want to because how are you going to hear us explain to you if we can't speak? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that how um, so many people reached out to you through from reading things from your website as well. And that even just shows like the need for representation, need for people to be. Yeah. It just even helps you too because maybe somebody will reach out to you and be like, oh, you know, have you tried this? Like, do you know, has your doctor said this to you? Like, so even that as well, but it's mad that it has to go to that before the doctors can even just recognize it in the first place. They should be doing that for the first, at the first contact, at the first point. That should be their primary yeah. concern to figure out what is actually going on um, accurately as well. Not not just, oh yeah, whatever. Do you know, I'm, I'm actually finishing in five minutes, yeah, so they need to do go. some real tests. Mm. Mm. Um, a representation, like you just mentioned it, Rosie, like I'm a writer as well. And I mostly like want to write about queer people. Um, I wrote a short film, which is in post-production at the moment, and I want to write another short film about a black queer disabled woman. And, like, because I just don't see it on TV. I think I've seen, like, one show, which was on Netflix, and that show was about a woman that purposely made her daughter sick. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it was on Netflix. I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, that one. Um, But, obviously, I have not seen any with black, you know... I've seen none. (laughs) 
Zero. You've seen exactly. <laughs> so, and also another thing is another thing is like obviously when I was doing my research and stuff, like what I what you just said as well is just like you you get up and you get shit done, you know. And I do want to see joy. Like I feel like we're always talking about trauma. We're always talking about racism, which obviously it's a real thing. But sometimes when we watch things, we want to see happy stuff or we want to see some comedies or we want to see, see people fall in love do you know what I'm saying so that is definitely something that I um would want to do and I was just thinking if I can get you to consult on that would you be interested in that I'd be down like I, I would yeah. love to see more queer disabled stories because mm-hmm. the this the disabled films and videos and stuff that I've seen that it's always framing disability as this oh poor tiana they're disabled (laughs) and their life is just so hard they must be so miserable all the time and i'm like yeah you know stuff be shitty but you know i love spinning in circles in my wheelchair like (laughs) i do that all the time (laughs) like it's not always horrible like when me and my other disabled friends link up it's great like me and my Mm -hmm. friend we'd be stepping out with our crutches talking about like like damn you know pain you know, pain's hard, but guess what? These crutches are cute as hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look at our little accessible outfits. Yeah. Like, it's not always miserable. And I hate how we just constantly frame disability as this horrible, horrible thing. And I remember, like, I had all these people trying to get on my case because I didn't want to talk about how horrible I felt about being disabled. And I'm like, mm. you can feel as, you can feel any kind of way about your disability that you want to, but me, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not going to sit here and start talking shit about myself because I'm disabled. No, me being disabled isn't this character flaw. I'm not miserable because of, you know what I am miserable because of? Having to go sit at a doctor's office and listen to somebody talk over me and not listen to me. That's what I'm miserable about. I'm not miserable because I use a wheelchair. I love my wheelchair. I named her B. She's back there. Mm. <laughs> like, I'm not, fin- I don't want to partake in, like, media that constantly makes it seem like being disabled is the worst right. thing on the planet. I don't want to see inspirational stories either. I don't exist to be an inspiration to non-disabled people. Mm. I'm just existing. And I just want to see stuff about us just existing, living our lives without either over-dramatizing the life of being Mm. disabled and also without trying to completely erase it. My disability is a part of who I am as a Black queer non-binary. Like, you can't tear my disability away from me. It affects the way I navigate the world, how I navigate my relationships, how I live my life. It's not minute. But if you come to me and you want me to start framing my disability as the worst thing that happened to me, I'm like, no, the worst thing that probably happened to me was the amount of times I got scared by spiders in my life. That was the worst thing. Like, that that t- that tops the cake. Yeah. Me had to become a yeah. disabled? No, that's... <laughs> it's all right you know it, it's you know shit happens like yeah you know yeah. i was sick for a long time i get sick a lot that that does bite but i'm not mm. always sick and when i'm not when i'm yeah. not feeling sick shit's great <laughs> like uh it would just be so good to see more of it and see it yes. in a light that's actually representative of life because people think that if you're writing a story about disabled per- people and that person isn't miserable it isn't real which affects the way people view us people yes. think that i'm faking it if i don't look downtrodden and upset every time i have to step outside the house like whoa it's me my life sucks i hate myself because i'm disabled no i, I look cute what am i mad about like me, I'm sitting in a cute ass wheelchair. My outfit's great. Titties sitting. I'm loving Ain't that. Ain't that right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Your hair looks great. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. I just read out it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> it looks great. Exactly. So yeah, I love that, and I'm glad because I feel like also when it comes to representation, it should be the people who have those experiences also telling the stories, or at least consulting on it. It's just like you know when white people write about write black characters and they're bland as fuck and it's just like this is not a black person there's no flavor here yeah nah, no, no. right <laughs> right so yeah no like that yeah that's great you know when you wrote when you tweeted just like my joints my coochie i was stop just up, about to say that. that i was just <laughs> you know, about to say to that. that before we leave <laughs> that was the tweet i was saying i went viral from yeah <laughs> what was good was you nervous before you tweet that was your was your what was going through your mind like tweeting that <laughs> I just tweeted it and went about my day. I was like, you know what? <laughs> this is funny. Nobody's going to say anything about this. 
And then my phone started blowing up, and I'm like, what the hell? Because <laughs> I was like, I was just laying, I was just sitting around my house, and I was like, this would be a funny pun. I'm going to tweet it. You know, like, completely silly. I expected nothing from it. Mm. I wasn't nervous. I tweet bullshit all the time. If you follow mm. me on Twitter, I tweet shit. <laughs> like, I talk about serious stuff, but I'm also goofy as hell. I love to laugh. Mm. And I'm like, you know, somebody might laugh about this. I wasn't expecting that. We like, expected the Metro newspaper. <laughs> no child when they emailed me i was like <laughs> i'm so done no yeah I just, <laughs> I just want to let it like let me know i've been talking to my friends about this but most of the experiences and opportunities i've gotten following that tweet have come from y'all in the uk i don't okay. know what it is about my country they don't like me i guess oh wow <laughs> no way but like I, I have I have not had a newspaper here want to talk about me talking about my coochie, but apparently do you, yeah. <laughs> do you know what? I actually thought you were British at first. Yeah, I did actually think I you were British blame at first. You with the amount of British people that have invited me to do things. Yeah, I mean, I thought you were British, and I was like, oh, hold on, that don't sound British to me. That's not British. <laughs> but yeah, like I was just. I was like, you know what, this is funny. And it's like, you know, it's a nice little uplifting thing because, you know, a lot of people don't like to even discuss the fact that mm. some of us be having sex. Like, I, I think I do think that your article, the first time I've seen anybody write about it in the way that you did, and especially because it was the first person um, article as well. And the fact that you're also black and queer. I mean, I mean, I didn't expect to see the first time reading about it from a black and queer disabled person yeah. so like i love that i love that i absolutely love that and yeah. um but yeah so like yeah the article was tell everyone who hasn't read the article do you want to tell them a little bit about what it was about and like what you said in there so essentially it was about discussing the ways that we assume we we write off sexuality as an option for people who are disabled like we're constantly essentially defaulted to being non-sexual beings who can't consent to sex can't enjoy sex can't be sexy i'm sexy i'm a beautiful person i'm gorgeous love my body learn to love my body even more after becoming disabled like there are of course like you know there's asexual people but we're not asexual because we're disabled they're asexual because they're asexual like that it ain't got shit to do with disability disability might make sex more uncomfortable or more painful which is also something that i talk about because we got to talk about both sides of it. Yeah, sex is great for a lot of people, but sex is also very uncomfortable or painful for a lot of people as well. But defaulting disabled people to being completely without ability to be sexy, have sex, have like flings and enjoy it and stuff is a problem. And that was demonstrated by the response I got from my tweet. I had so many people who were like, one particular, this one stuck with me. Someone's like, I bet having sex with her, at the time I pronounced her she, her, I bet having sex with her is like having sex with a, a sex doll. Because, like I said earlier, a lot of people only view disability as four or five different disabilities. And I wasn't finna correct him because first off, I'm not finna throw people who deal with paralysis under the bus to make myself feel better about myself. Even if I was paralyzed in any part of my body, there is more to sex than penetration. And if the only way that you view sex is by pumping in and out of somebody's body, yeah, you're treating them like a sex toy because you don't, there's a whole other, there's a whole body here. That's like 2% of the body and you're not paying attention to any of it. That's why you don't know that we can have sex because you think that the only way sex happens is if you put in a penis in. Not all the sex involves penises. That's, that's their personal thing. flaw right there. Exactly. And that's, that's why they're probably bad at sex. You know? <laughs> yeah. there you go. Exactly. And there were so many other people who thought it was disgusting to think of me uh, think of disabled people having sex they viewed it as thinking of uh, older people having sex and i'm like newsflash old people be fucking too that's right exactly <laughs> and what are you gonna do about it exactly. you think you think people are supposed to stop popping their pussy because they became older no <laughs> like <laughs> why would you think that like you're uncomfortable yeah. because that's your own problem you should work through that and right. stop desexualizing people because you're weak Cause that's how mm. I feel about it. 
there was no the only reason the only reason people had a problem with me talking about sex is because i was disabled because when i talked about sex before becoming disabled people did not have a problem with it people were not disgusted mm. with it i had people who wanted to fuck me before i came disabled and people who wanted to do it afterwards mm-hmm. but the only problem here with the people who were responding to my tweet is because i used the word disabled if i just right. said my coochie pops everybody like yes queen mine too that's true that is very true like and that's that was the key part of this is that you should not be looking at first off you don't need to be thinking about sex with a person who did not ask you to like you don't need to come in my inbox worrying about how sex happens with me because guess what you are not the person that i'm having sex with so that's not your business but if i'm gonna talk about it the way i'm discussing sex is the way that i have it it doesn't matter how you feel about it it doesn't matter if you're disgusted by it because once again we are not having sex but the reason you are disgusted is because you view disability as disgusting. You view all disabled people as being unworthy of love, unworthy of happy sexual relationships. You don't view us as as normal human beings. You stripped us of our humanity and now you're upset because we are not riding with that. There were so many other disabled people and I have so many of my friends who I made after that tweet who talk about that tweet a lot because... It's one thing to talk about sex while disabled. It's another thing to talk about it in a joke, in a funny, like uplifting manner. Like I'm not doing, I'm not talking about sex just, you know, because there ain't nothing wrong with it, but like I'm talking about, cause you know, it's fun. Like we talk about sex as a fun thing all the time, but the only problem ha- arose because I was a disabled person doing it. And how dare I step outside of the social norms and start acting like a normal person by talking about how fun sex is. Like, and of course, like I said, not everybody has sex. Not everybody's comfortable with having sex. Or some people's disabilities make sex uncomfortable. Sex, I, I have to change the way, like the way I had sex before I became disabled and the way I have sex now is completely different. But that does not mean that by default, I should have that stripped away from me as something that I do. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But I'm glad that even, you know, I don't feel like, yeah, as you said before, I don't feel like is up to is the responsibility is on you to do it but the fact that you are doing it and speaking about it I think is so great because there are so many people out there who can relate and who just need that you know who just need that sort of solidarity um so yeah I'm about to follow you on on Twitter because <laughs> you are jokes <laughs> even aside from that people need to, to know you. like hello like what do you mean the coochie's still popping yeah you know what I mean like people need to know like Hello, like all, the, all these is. little stereotypes and whatever, just just be gone, just be gone. Yeah, but yeah, that was yeah. that was that was hilarious to me. That was funny. It wasn't, and it was also <laughs> nice to read the article. So anyone else hasn't, do you know? We're gonna put the link of the article in the description of this episode so that you guys can go and read. And, and you can also feel like your energy through it as well. You can tell you're just somebody who is like you like to have a laugh. Do you know what I mean? You seem like somebody yeah. who's cool and relaxed. Like yeah, you know what? They're a good person. They're a good person. But, um, that's why yeah. I think that's I recently got complimented on that. Someone, one of my friends, told me that the way I write, I write like I'm having a conversation, mm. and that's my goal. I'm very uncomfortable with primarily writing in a passive, like separate, tone yeah. When it comes to stuff like this, like this is where I want my voice to be heard, and I want you to know that you, the the personality of the person behind the writing when I'm talking about it, because mm-hmm. that also is a part of my experiences. And it yeah. helps when you're reading about someone who's dealing with something that you are. And you can tell that there's a person behind it who's writing it. And you're like, okay, I feel the camaraderie. I feel the solidarity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can, you're it does come across in your writing as well. So that's why at the beginning when you mm-hmm. said writing, you're writing Lucy. It's like, ah, no, 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 we're feeling it. We're feeling it. So you're definitely a writer. <laughs> definitely a writer. You're a good writer too. <laughs> Not just a writer, you're a good writer. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could you get no shy? But yeah. I don't do good with compliments. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it. Neither do I. I get it. I get it. But yes, and that comes oh, yeah. to the end of our episode. So, like, before we um, round off, we let the listeners know what you have coming up next, or like just where to find you and look out for as well. So currently, I'm in the process of working on an infographic for Instagram or on my Instagram about migraines because that's something that I deal with. It's taken me a while. There's a lot going on in my life and it's very exhausting. Um, I have a piece coming out soon with um, the company that I'm working with where we're going to be talking about 
what it's what strength is and how that affects you mentally physically and emotionally especially when you're black and disabled and a woman or a marginalized gender um and i'm streaming sometime <laughs> over the course of the next couple of days um because you know you need to have a nice little relaxation when all you do mm. is talk about serious topics but you yeah. can find me on Twitter and Instagram, which is T-E-E underscore screen. And if you would like to support me, you can do so by donating to my GoFundMe. I'm raising money for a service dog. It's def- desperately needed. Um, otherwise, you can subscribe to my Patreon or my Ko-fi. Both will be teaspoon. Yeah, thank you very much. Nice. We're gonna we're gonna tag all your stuff in there anyway, like your website, Twitch, all of that, all of that. So everyone <laughs> needs to make sure to go support you and all the things that you're doing as well. Hopefully the Americans also give you some bookings. Do you know what I mean? Get the coin, give you some coins as well. <laughs> yep. But um yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Like, you know, it's not easy doing these things, especially when we're like in different countries and stuff. So we really appreciate you coming through and just you know sharing yeah. that sharing your journey like you know um i appreciate y'all having me here it was an honor what state are you from florida Quickly, what state are you from <laughs> florida okay we need to we need to go to Santa florida at some point it's we, okay we... y'all either come to florida or i'll go to london because listen i'm definitely yeah. i'm definitely trying to trying to be friends because y'all are cool as hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know we might need to do both we might need to do both we, <laughs> not, yeah, yeah i like that i like that we i like need to do both. Like listen that. biden please <laughs> open the borders we need biden to open the borders basically <laughs> Vida's not feeling us right now. But um, thanks for listening, guys. Make sure you use the hashtag Tutu's Podcast and Conversation on Twitter. Make sure you follow us on Spotify and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And until next week, peace. <laughs>